0: Today, we're talking to Dan, COO of Segra, about the ubiquity of high-speed internet and how to be more disciplined. You're listening to the Modern CTO Podcast. Hey, Dan. Hey, how are you? Fantastic, my friend. This is going to be exciting. We're going to make a podcast. (laughs) Sounds good. Now, I was particularly curious to speak with you because I just uh, bought like a small farm in a rural area. And one of the advertisements they had on the listing was that it just got fiber. So maybe three months before I purchased it. And then I found that there were these government programs where they would help the utilities provide fiber in rural areas. And there was government money to help sort of spread fiber throughout the world. Is that kind of what you guys do?
1: You know, we play a part in that
0: ecosystem.
1: So what you're talking about really is the stimulus money that uh, the government has put in play to help make it affordable for carriers to extend the networks out to the rural parts of America, crossing the digital divide, if you will. So in your instance, where you moved to a rural farm and if you're like me, you probably wouldn't have purchased the place if it didn't have you know high speed Internet. So if you think about that, how important it is to you or to me or you know, just in terms of learning or connecting or all the things that we do in life. You know, I think that everybody realizes at this point it's kind of like electricity was in the dawn in the early days of electricity where it started in the metro areas and then it began to grow. And, and then it was at some point it was so widely adopted that it was considered a necessity or utility uh, for everyone. And I think that's kind of where we're going with broadband. So the, the, the you know, stimulus that you're talking about is the government's way of encouraging providers to go out and build to those rural areas where otherwise it would not be profitable to do so. So, we participate in so much as that we don't provide fiber to the home, but at Segra, we'll connect the middle mile. So, we'll take, you know, we'll we'll connect to the rural broadband providers or the WISPs that serve those rural areas, and we'll bring them back to the metro markets and back to the internet peering points at a cost-effective way so that, you
0: know, they can continue to build those communities out. Okay. So, for example something that was interesting here was that it was the electric company Mm -hmm. and I've never seen, like I've had broadband my whole life. Well, not my whole life, but as long as it's been available, I've had it and it's always been through like maybe a cable provider or a Verizon or something like that. And, for it to be through like the electricity company, I thought I was like, Oh, that's that's interesting. And then I found out about the programs and I said, I told my wife, I said, Honey, I I, I think we have to celebrate. I think this is the first effective government program that's ever existed.
1: <laughs> it's a good it's a good public private partnership in a lot of places. You know, if you think about what we do from a, a core infrastructure perspective as a as a telecommunications provider or as a technology company, it's very similar to like to the electric. Play right from an infrastructure perspective. So that's why you see that, you know they can use the same a lot of times the time, same pull lines. That's the same way you bury. It's you know it's all very similar in terms of how you deliver uh, the connectivity. And so folks are doing that in a variety of ways. There are telecoms that are focused on growing that rural broadband footprint out. There are local municipalities that are doing that. There are electric co-ops and electric companies that are doing that. And again, you know, what we do is we try to help them with that connectivity back to the internet, big, big eye internet peering points and things of that nature.
0: Explain that to me. So I'll just use the name of my provider so it's easier for the conversation. It's called Cumberland, right? Cumberland Connect. And so Cumberland runs the wire out to my house. Yep. And then you help take from like Cumberland's facility back to Nashville because I'm outside of Nashville. Yeah.
1: There, there there are major peering points across the U.S. where, you know, uh, carriers co locate and meet, right? So that we can build this great giant network across the U.S. and across the world. So in, in, the, in your instance, where you've got the local uh, electric company providing your connectivity, they still need to get that back to, you know an internet drain somewhere where they can reach out to the rest of the world so they're i'm not sure who they're partnering with but they partner with somebody to get back to a major point like Nashville or you know other areas where they can get back out to the internet so you know your your journey uh, from for your for your for the data from your desktop all the way out to the world is a long one it you know it seems fast to you but it's you know it
0: probably takes place across a multiple number of providers and so I'm just trying to wrap my head around it completely. So there's, you call them pairing points, correct? Pairing, yes. Peering where, points. Think about okay. it where big telecommunication companies
1: interconnect, where, you know, you go out of one box and into another box and there's a connection that happens at, a, at the simplest form. It's just how they connect and then they connect back to you and then out to the internet.
0: Who maintains these facilities? It depends there's
1: uh, you know there's big real estate companies that own some of them, the carriers own some of them. You know there's a whole ecosystem around that as well. So it just depends on where you're, where you co-locate and uh, what city it's in.
0: Okay. How do they decide? Like, how do you, is it just business to business negotiation, Say, you can join my peer area, or you can, like, how do you work together with your competitors?
1: You, uh, you just, you know, typically, depending on where you, you meet or where you co locate, it's a business arrangement to purchase space and power in a rack somewhere, or, you know, something larger than that in one of the facilities. And then it's just a, you know, a, a complicated networking architecture that allows you to, to connect the network so that they can talk.
0: Okay. So they would look more like a data center than like a water utility with lines coming together. Yeah.
1: 100%. what, What I'm referring to, you're correct. It would look much like a modern day data center.
0: Yeah. Okay. And so they're owned by various people, organizations, and everybody just works together and figures out how to get the traffic networked and make it so it's profitable and so you can continue to grow and expand the systems and provide new technologies.
1: That's right. And then, you know, most carriers buy and sell from each other. So where there are pockets when you're trying to serve a customer that you can't reach and another carrier can, will buy and sell services to one another. So it's a, it's a good ecosystem. It's healthy and it's competitive, but there is a lot of cooperation in both, you know, the telecommunications and, the, and in the cable space as well.
0: What is... The metric or the unit that you use when purchasing, uh, is it bandwidth that you're purchasing when you're working with each other? Yeah.
1: It's uh, that's basically and that's the, the core metric that you would, you know, the, the unit of purchase, I guess you would say. So just connectivity. There's and there's various layers of the OSI model you mm-hmm. can purchase. So it just depends on the service that you're purchasing. And then, you know, you could be purchasing IP transit or, or
0: transport from another provider. And that's uh, that's kinda how that works. I got to interview Sir Tim Berners-Lee and I was so excited leading up to it. I just would explain it like people would say well, you know who, who's that guy and I'd say oh he's the creator of the internet and yeah. i got promptly corrected by the audience that he is the create and then that's when i learned about like OSI and all of that and like what layer he was responsible and then it took so many brilliant people across so many different layers and and all of this innovation to actually make it happen there's not just like one thing you can point at and be like that's the internet right, right. it's like a bunch of cool things working together
1: yeah the people that work in our industry and in, in my company do the most sophisticated most technical type of work possible and they make it look so easy and that's one of the things that i'm just astonished by every day is just the the complex nature of what we do for a business and how how it works and how we interconnect with each other and how our teammates here at Segrin and other companies make that happen for our end users it's extraordinarily complicated to your point but you know the teams just do a phenomenal job we work with a lot of really bright people
0: If I'm driving in an area that you service where your lines will be, will I actually see Segra trucks?
1: Yeah, you would. You know, now we are a business focused, enterprise focused company. So again, you know, we're not providing fiber to the home, like in your case, where you're, Mm -hmm. where you're receiving those services from the electric company. We are connecting businesses in our market. So we do have trucks. Yeah, you'd see us all over. We're across kind of the eastern seaboard. We have about 30,000
0: route miles of fiber. So we've got lots, lots of Sega trucks rolling around uh, doing good work for our customers. So if I was, let's say there's a big business here and I want to get back to Nashville, would I call you up and you would run fiber just for me or would that fiber exist and I would just jump onto it and you would run like an extension out to me? How how would that work? So if, if you were the business? Yeah, if I was a big business and I wanted yep. to pipe directly back, is that is that kind of what you guys do? We do,
1: yeah. We we would build the fiber to the building, and you know, in an area where maybe we serve a company that's headquartered in our footprint. Let's just—I'm sitting in Charlotte, North Carolina. Maybe we serve a company that's headquartered in Charlotte, and they have a location that's outside of our footprint in Nashville, and we don't have our fiber in that region where it's cost-effective to build a location, we would would lease that access from another provider, like we talked about earlier, that's kind of an ecosystem in terms of how we collaborate to ensure that we can deliver connectivity to customers. And then we would manage that service, we would call it a type two service through another provider to that location and then bring it back on the network uh, to our customer.
0: What type of numbers are you talking about? What size numbers are you talking about for transferring data?
1: Uh, it depends on the the business needs really i mean we you know today when I, when I first started in the industry, I'll date myself a little bit uh, you know t one was a very mm-hmm. adequate to run a business so one dot five megs now I would say that kind of the base level that most customers purchase for their for their you know enterprise business is a hundred meg, but more often it's you know a gig. And so that's kind of we're we're graduating into the you know it's like you know T1 is now is, is now 100 megs and 100 megs is now a gig and the evolution and the requirements for bandwidth continue to grow exponentially so you know we're growing our network our network
0: alongside that to ensure that we can deliver those higher bandwidth speeds for our customers. I remember the day when my dad's office got T1. I think. <laughs> I was super excited to play video games online because I would have like the fastest connection. It was a really big deal, and that was probably late '90s, early 2000s. I'm not yep. sure exactly when, but around that time.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I exited the military in '99, and when I and I, I stumbled into telecom, and when I did, you know, T1 was the that was the that was the hot ticket back then, if you will. So that that's about right in terms of time frames.
0: So you were an air traffic controller correct? That's correct. Yeah. In the military, I was an air traffic controller. Yeah. How did that prepare you? Those are very high stress jobs. How did that prepare you for the business world?
1: You know, the military in general and air traffic control specifically, I think it, all of the core tenets that you learn from a military perspective, like showing up on time, you know, making sure that uh, you have attention to detail, you follow through, you you conduct yourself in an ethical and, and moral way. I think all of those things are, you know, the base requirements for being successful in any, in anything in life. So I think it did a great job of, uh, you know, as a young man coming out of uh, high school, allowing me to mature and to grow into somebody that was responsible that could come and and do a good job for a company. And then, you know, air traffic control specifically, it is, you know, you always read it on the, on the list of like the most stressful jobs in the world. It's always in the top five or whatever. And it's what it taught me is that stress is really all relative. So, you know, it, it is a stressful job. Uh, it's, a, it's a very cognitively intense job. So you, you can't really have an off day because it is literally life or death if you make the wrong move and that kind of thing. So there's, there's an element of uh, the stress feels, feels a bit higher because of the consequences, but I didn't feel any more stressed out on a difficult day in an air traffic control tower um, when I was working local control, which is the key position of tower than I do dealing with some emergency at home. So it's stress is all relative. It's how you it's how you uh, deal with the stress. It's how you think about it. It's how you process it. It's how you take your steps to resolve it are a little bit different, but
0: it's all the same. That's the, that's the thing I learned from that job. Yeah, I call it maximum pain or maximum stress. I, had, I got hit by a car when I was 12. And so I went mm-hmm. through A bunch of rehab and learned how to walk again, all that type of stuff. And what I realized like pretty quickly is there, your sensors for, for lack of a better term, your, your receptors, you can, there's, there's a thing called maximum pain. It's like the maximum amount of signal it can receive. And if you understand that and you experience that, you're like, okay, well it just can't get worse than what it feels like when it's the worst. Now, how do you deal with it? Like today when stuff is starts to build up, what's your go-to? You go for a run Take some time off. What do you do? I
1: I am an exercise. Exercise is absolutely 100 percent my main coping mechanism for dealing with any kind of stress. So Every day, pretty much without break, unless it's just a completely planned day off, I exercise. And if that means I've gone the whole day and it's nine o'clock at night and I haven't gone for a run or or lifted a weight yet, I will do that Mm. because that is my kind of Zen moment every day. It allows me to to unwind. You know, the endorphins are amazing. Uh, it, it, allows me to, you know, uh, refocus and re-energize for the following day so that yeah, exercise is my key way to, uh, to deal with that. But, you know, you also learn as you get older, or I have at least take a deep breath, you know, it's step back, kind of detach a bit, observe the situation and then, and then logically think through how you want to process the next steps toward a resolution. And I think just that, you know, as much as, you know, a daily uh, unwind with the the exercise does for me, it's that deep breath and the detachment and the step back in a critical situation or a stressful situation that helps me kind of make my way through.
0: For me, because I work out like pretty much on a daily basis or at least five days a week. For me, what the workout does, of course, the endorphins and all of that, but the way my brain processes it is if I can make myself do something that I don't want to do which is usually like another rep, you know, if I can, if I can conquer that, I've got Jocko, you know, will Nick in my head. I got Goggins up there. And if I can just break that weak version of myself, then, then that's the win for me. Everything else is, is is just gold because once you can make yourself do something, the whole world opens up to you. I mean, discipline is in such short supply professionally everywhere. Yeah.
1: I, I couldn't agree with you more. There are countless days. Everybody's like, "Well, you you love exercise, kinda, right?" But I love the results of it the more than I do the thing itself. And there are countless days where I will sit on my couch for 30 minutes, just dreading the next step toward the. You know, I have a home gym as well, and I have one, another gym close to the house. Either getting in the car or walking out to the garage. Like I, I dread that step, but I do it because in the end, I've never regretted a workout where i haven't been injured right so to yeah. your point i, I you know to, to your point there's a lot of just the mental resolve of it that i appreciate as well and overcoming an obstacle recently oddly enough i've started doing the cold plunge like the cold shower every oh day, yeah and that's miserable like that's a new level of misery I, you know i i dislike running a lot and i run several days a week but not as much as i do three minutes and i dislike that probably more than anything i do but i've done it i'm probably on a two or three month stretch now of doing that daily just for the, for the exact reason you described. Yeah.
0: I hate, what's his name? Wim Hof. Wim Hof, man. Yeah, I know he, he's ruined he everything. Came out here, for he invented this program. It got popular and I'm just like, no, know. <laughs> you know yeah. who does it? Tony Robbins. He, if you watch yep. the documentary, he built like this square, plunge thing. It's like a, you know, it looks like the, the, the great piece in Tetris, right? Yeah, the the yeah. one that you always want. And he just goes out and jumps in it like in the morning. And I, I'm like, I have discipline, but like, I, Oh, you know, you've kind of convinced me. I think I need to do it now. I think I need to go take the plunge. It's,
1: it's miserable, but I, there are a few better feelings that when that three minutes expires and you can, turn the shower on to hot or do whatever you're going to do the rest of the night or the rest of the day the rest of everything else feels wonderful because you're done with that three minutes so just like the workout where it's like you know sometimes you dread having to go through the motions or you just go through the motions Uh, the benefit at the end and then accumulation of benefits over years really is what what you're building there uh is just to me it's invaluable so yeah it's uh you know it's 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 tough but it's good
0: right yeah, there's tons of science out there specifically about the cold stuff and aging. And so I like looking into that. But all right, let's get back to you. So what branch of the military was it again?
1: A U.S. Army. And I, I chose the Army because they were the only uh, branch at the time that offered – I, I, I don't even know if they still offer this or not. It's called split option. So I did boot camp between my junior and senior year in high school. Uh, Somehow convinced my parents to sign the waivers and do all of that. And between uh, the summer of my junior, you know, moving into my senior year of high school, I was off to boot camp. So uh, did that, came back, was in the Army Reserves for my senior year in high school. And then I applied for active duty uh,
0: and was off directly after high school for uh, my advanced training and aerosol school, things of that nature. Amazing. I'm here today because of the Air Force. I didn't specifically okay. serve my dad when he was 18. He needed to get out of the house, right? Mm. And so, Air Force it was, and they taught him electronics, uh, hardware and software engineering principles. And, and he worked on projects. They actually put the uh, the first GPS system into the B thirty two stealth bomber. Oh wow! And yeah, yeah, it only came became declassified like seven or eight years ago when he told me. I was like, oh, cool. he really took it seriously. He didn't even tell his family or anything. Yeah, and rightfully cool. so. I've got a microphone. I would have told everybody. <laughs> 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 so, um, did you do any fiber stuff in the military, or did, was that all post military? No, I got I got out of the military, and
1: uh, I thought I wanted to own a gym. So I, <laughs> I was, you know, I was geared up to go figure out how to, to own a gym. Dawned on me fairly quickly that you don't typically make a lot of money doing that. And so a guy, a guy that was at the gym said, what are you doing? I was doing some personal training, things of that nature at the time. And he's like, why don't you come work for us? We're a technology company. I was like, because I have no clue what you do. And he's like, that's fine. We'll teach you. So somebody took a chance on me. Uh, my first boss took a chance on hiring me just based on her perception of my aptitude to learn. And then I've made a, you know, I've had a phenomenal, wonderful career as a result of her gracious acceptance of me with no experience.
0: Have you ever done that with like members of your team or? As frequently as I can, you know,
1: my, it's core to me to make sure that we do, and it's, it's something that we're working hard on here at Segra's. How do we drop the barrier to entry for folks to either come straight out of high school or maybe come straight out of college and enter into a workforce with no with no experience or maybe it's a mid-career change for somebody where they don't have a ton of experience, but they're smart, they're hardworking, they're humble. They're all the things you want in a teammate. How do we build a program here that allows them to grow in our organization based on those qualities and those characteristics as opposed to experience level. So, yeah, I'm super passionate about that. I've hired a lot of people uh, in my career with no experience, and some of the best
0: teammates that we have and some of the best people I've ever worked with had zero experience when they started. Yeah. Yeah. I hired a server once. I was like this. Part, yeah. This guy was just on top of it. I'd been there at the restaurant a couple times. Every time he's just crushing it. Yeah. And uh, you know, you have a brief conversation. You can kind of tell what's behind someone's eyes, right? Like, and it it worked out really well. Now I'm curious to know about w- what you just talked about. Sounds like code camps, but for broadband, right? Have you looked at how the economic development? organizations are working with private industry to help people transition from service jobs or transition from, you know, just general coming out of high school into code camps. Have you seen these before?
1: Yeah, we have. And in fact, uh, our our chief people officer and I, Vanya and I talk a lot about how we can build something similar here. And it's, it's, it's being done across the space in a variety of ways, you know, and we're, you know, at the core, we're a connectivity provider, like we've talked about, but we really do so much more than that. We, you know, we offer cybersecurity solutions, cloud services, we have data centers, we offer collaboration. And so we do a lot more up the stack, if you will, in terms of managed services than just the core connectivity. So for us, it's how do we start to build opportunities for new teammates to enter in a basic, you in one of your entry-level jobs like i did it was the most entry-level position in the company and then allow them to career ladder and move across the different segments of the business to learn and grow and progress as they as they gain uh, knowledge and awareness and, and interest so we're working very hard on you know just like you described with a code camp or something of that nature how do we build that kind of telecom technology 101 to help our teammates start to learn to grow and then provide them with opportunities
0: to learn in-house or through vendor partners so they can grow their career. I've gotten the chance to work with a couple of different chief people officers and that's exactly what they do. So one of the cool things that they'll do is, you know, you see that, I think it was like Netflix or one of the big five, they created those, that software that lets people like apply for jobs internally so that they can switch their job within the organization so that way they'll keep people in the ecosystem. But because so often people will feel like, well, I've noticed as a, as an entrepreneur, in hiring people, a lot of people don't know how to ask or they don't know how to like they'll, it's really clear for them to see a title at another place and try to go get that Mm -hmm. versus creating a new title here or solving some new problem here and, and having something change within. So I, I go out of my way to talk with my team about that because, you know, it just helps build a culture of people that are looking for problems to solve and that are, as as self directed as you can be, because there's you know limitations to that.
1: And, and the other benefit to that, really, for the organization, is the cross functional awareness that you that you build when teammates have worked in different segments of the business or in different groups allows the their aperture to open in a way that benefits the customer it benefits their teammates it benefits innovation all the things you want to do as an organization the more experience you can get you know high potential teammates the better so to your point exactly we you know i love it when a a, uh, one of my teammates moves from one group to another or one department to another department and learns more about the business because they can bring those insights back to benefit their current role and their old role with their with their new teammates and their old teammates i think it's phenomenal
0: Can you give me some context as to the size of SEGRA? Yeah, we're just shy of 1,000 employees. Uh,
1: We have, uh, like I said, we're 30,000 route miles of fiber across nine states. So think like Augusta, Georgia, up through Pennsylvania. And then we have nine data centers. Through that footprint. And then, like like I said earlier, we have, you know, not only the core connectivity at the core, we're an infrastructure provider, so fiber connectivity, but really what we focus on is the managed service stack that really helps our enterprise customers solve their technology troubles. And those services that, that you know, cybersecurity, the cloud, the collaboration services pull through the infrastructure. Because if you're solving somebody's cyber problem, cybersecurity problem, they'll purchase their connectivity from you. So it's really, it's it's kind of an opposite go to market motion than you would think in terms of like, we're gonna go out and we're gonna sell you some bandwidth or some fiber connectivity. We're really just trying to help you solve a business problem. And, and we're tightly aligned with our customers and tightly aligned with our sales teams from a product perspective. So that we stay current with what our customers need from a technology roadmap perspective so that we can solve that problem for them. And then what we what we provide in the end is, I call it one neck to hug, not one throat to choke, but a single source of procurement for those customers that eases that procurement on their IT staff so they can go focus on their core business and allows us to take care of the, the day-to-day technology needs in the
0: company. Do most of your customers, they, they come in as fiber and then you help them with additional stuff or is it the opposite way around?
1: Carrier customers, it's, you know, so we sell to the, you know, all the big wireless carriers and, and like you and I talked about earlier, there's an ecosystem where we buy and sell from other carriers across the nation. That's all fiber-based, connectivity-based, you know, wavelengths or, or just, you know, fiber or connectivity-based services. Our enterprise customer base, so when we're selling to the businesses in our footprint, that mid-market space, is really the it's, it's we lead with the services and the fiber just follows, um, because, again, our focus for those customers is how do we help them solve some of their critical IT roadmap needs, right? And so we're just trying to help ease that burden on those IT decision makers in those companies.
0: When you see emerging technologies like Starlink... What do you think the future looks like a hundred years in, in the future? Do you think you think it's gonna be like there's trains and buses, you know, like there's Starlings and then you know, the the physical fiber? Is it are they always going to coexist? Is one going to outcompete the other?
1: I, I mean I think that there's always gonna be a need for physical fiber. I think what will happen, you know, maybe it won't be a hundred years even, is that there will be such a ubiquitous availability of connectivity, I'll call it. Uh, When you think about, you know, we're in the very nascent stages of the metaverse and autonomous and connected vehicles and, you know, the continuous widespread adoption of cloud services, AR and VR, all of the, you know, buzzwords that you hear, you're actually starting to see that in practice in some areas. Uh, So as that grows, the need for that ubiquitous connectivity and high-speed connectivity and sometimes low-latent connectivity exists. So I think it'll be a blend to your question. I do think it'll be a blend. But I think my hope is that the, everyone in the world, uh, you know, that at some point has access to that information because I think it fundamentally changes everything. And I know, I know it has for me, you know, the, to have the access to information at my fingertips at all times has my growth since the you know since the adoption of the cell phone and I've had that thing in my pocket has just been exponential, and I, I want to you know personally I, th- I think it's super uh, rewarding to be in an industry that's helping extend that to everybody. Playing a, even a small part in that where we're extending that that knowledge out to the world is just exciting and phenomenal. We've got ground to cover to make sure that everybody has equal access, and we we do cross that digital divide there.
0: Yeah. I'm really grateful for it too, (laughs) because it allowed me to improve my quality of life. I mean, I could never get to live out on like acreage like this because the cost of this in the city or like right directly on the edge of the city would be just on outside of my reach currently. Right. And so we get this quality of life, but we also have this gigabit internet. I told my wife, I thought it was kind of funny because I go, this is the fastest, internet that i have ever had and i'm out in the woods (laughs) yeah well what's what's cool about it is you you can pick your spot
1: to live and in your in your case you you get a lot of the benefits of living out and you know on a farm right but you don't lose the connectedness to everybody else right to information to people to the news to you know just reaching out to your friends you know getting on a video call you and i chatting you don't lose any of that in this environment and it's all you know thankfully, thankfully, due to the connectivity. And you think about that's one application, but think about telemedicine. Think about all the other exciting things that we're going to be able to do for these rural communities. It's really, really, it's a game changer uh, for rural America, I believe.
0: Yeah, shout out to TeleDoc. I got to do this interview, I think like two weeks ago with this company. They're called TeleDoc, And it was really interesting because the way that they promoted themselves or described themselves was like a, quarterback to your journey mm-hmm. versus just, oh, I've got, you know, a runny nose, let's get on a video call. Cause that's how I was thinking when I started the interview, that was my impression of of, of telemedicine was, okay, I have a cough. I open up this thing. They're going to send something to Walgreens. Right. Right. But they described it as this sort of larger service where uh, they'll actually like order labs for you and you can go get them and come back. And I, and I thought that was like, I thought that was really interesting. And whenever I find things that are super interesting, I like to, like to share them.
1: Yeah. Uh, actually, I listened to that uh, podcast that you had with them. Oh, you I'm, did? I'm, yeah, I did. And because I'm, I'm fascinated as well with, with telemedicine in general uh, and in health, right? You and know, it seems like both you and I are interested in health and, mm-hmm. you know, self-improvement, that kind of thing. So there's one application that's like, okay, I've got a, a cough and I don't want to have to drive to the doctor, and I'm busy. Let me do a quick, you know, wellness check on an urgent care type call, and that solves one problem. But what he was talking about with you is it's next level fascinating because it's at some point we're going to have a wearable. Like my my Apple Watch does it for me now. It tracks my sleep, it tells me my heart rate, it does all those things. But at some point, that's going to extend beyond that to the point where it'll predictively tell me when I'm about to become ill or when I'm about to there's an issue that could be of concern. And that type of like, you know, continuous monitoring of your health and well-being, you'll know when you're starting to get run down because there's that's that's fascinating. And I think I hadn't thought about it in that context until your podcast with him. But that next level of not just your basic care or my my, you know, physical annual physical checkup that I could do virtually. But that continual monitoring of my well-being is just, that's exciting.
0: Well, it makes sense, right? I mean, we do it for... Um... Well, you're in telecommunications. Somebody I talked to years ago was telling me about the system that they build. They would deploy it, red sensors, IoT, of uh, maybe I think it was cell phone or some t- transmitting towers that were like in Hawaii and the parts are so expensive and there's such a delay to ship them that they built this technology to determine when they're going to fail. And there's these incredibly complex mechanical systems operating together and they can, with a degree of accuracy, predict their failure. And when I saw... how how complicated that was, you know, cause my background software engineering, when I saw how complicated that was, I said, yeah, it's, it's only a matter of time before I'm going to get a notification that says, Hey, you need to go to sleep. Your immune system's down 32%. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's interesting. Uh,
1: anecdotally, and I, and I have read this online, like I monitor my heart rate pretty consistently cause it tells me if I'm overtrained. it tells me a lot of things. When my resting heart rate, uh, goes up overnight and I'm not overtrained. So if I haven't been, you know, if I haven't overextended myself from a workout perspective for, for, a, I'll know two days out ahead of a cold, ahead of anything that I'm about to be sick because I'll have a, you know, 10 beats elevated resting heart rate overnight. And 100% of the time that happens, I've caught a cold or, or something. So it's like that kind of, you know, awareness that instead of me having to monitor, it, it sends me a note. How great would that be? You can kind of get ahead of it, start you know treating the illness as early as possible, so that you can pass it as quickly as you can. It's it's just you know it's very exciting.
0: Are you wearing the watch overnight? Yeah, I am. Yep. Were you a watch guy before the Apple Watch? I was. Yeah. I, okay. You know, I've been training with a heart rate monitor for many
1: years. Um, and then, you know, I graduated into the various, you know, kind of evolutions of that wearable, you know, polar or whatever. And along with the heart rate monitor and the Apple watch is just kind of taking that to the next level. So I've
0: recently adopted it maybe last year, the Apple watch. And I do, I wear it every night when I sleep. What are some of the other ones that you've tried? Polar. I was a polar. I uh, had all of that. I haven't heard of that. So, polar is the name of yeah, the thing. It's like, thing. A, it's like g- they're Garmin and polar are both used for running. Oh, like yeah. polar. Polar. Yeah, I know, though.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. it's like, and then you, the chest strap, and you can kind of, you know do some I did a lot of training wrapped around my heart rate letting it you know elevate and then letting it recover a little bit and then hitting the next session so or the next round of reps so but I've been doing that for a while and then as a byproduct of that type of training I started to really
0: get interested in my resting heart rate and then I started monitoring overnight Yeah, I got really interested. I haven't done the heart rate thing, like continuous monitoring of it, but I I definitely got interested in how my body stored fat based off of my macro count, like the composition of the macros. And like I was reading online, different people process it differently. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to start measuring my food and and my macros and stuff. And this was about two years ago and I just started it. I was like, I'm going to do it for like 30 days. And it just stuck. And once you get in a habit of something, it's like, I can tell you, you know, how many grams of everything I've eaten today. And it's really interesting because I found like the right mix for me where I can eat a lot (laughs) what I consider a lot. like I can eat a lot because I like food, but I'm, I'm not, like putting on a lot of fat. And I'm also have, you know, I'll, I'll adjust the mix too, based off of how hard I'm working out. Like, or if I get sick, I'll, I'll change, change some stuff up because you, you don't want to, you know, go too crazy when you're sick. But that's interesting. It sounds like your heart rate, your body responding to it. Do you think that's why your heart rate's going up? Your body's like preparing to, to fight this thing or the early stages of fighting it?
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. And uh, so an elevated resting heart rate, your 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 body's doing something it's trying to recover from a you know too much exercise or it's it's the very start of the onset of a cold right and so your body's starting that response that says hey we've got to go fight this thing and you can get a little early glimpse into that
0: who do you get inspiration from do you follow anybody online uh yeah you've already dropped a couple of the
1: names that are familiar to me so yeah i'm a big jocko fan uh, I've read yeah. extreme ownership a couple times dichotomy mm-hmm. of leadership i like the leadership philosophy I uh, listen to his podcast and there are a couple other podcasts I listen to just that are business related. There's a macroeconomics podcast that I'm, a, I'm a bit of a nerd. So I'll listen. There's some very kind of geeky podcasts I listen to. And then for, for motivation, inspiration, leadership, uh, probably Jocko's my
0: go-to on that. Yeah. He's so consistent with that sweat picture on Instagram. <laughs> 4, Not watching. 4.30.
1: <laughs> yeah. 4.30 in the morning. He's up. Yeah. Yeah. What's the best leadership advice you've ever gotten? That's a great question. You know, probably. You know, we talked about it a little bit earlier. It's just the capability to detach. Um, is to make sure that you know when you get into a stressful situation or, or you're encountering a problem that seems too too complex to solve, detach a little bit, take a deep breath, and find a way through. Um, you know, that's that. And and just you know, from a problem solving perspective, leadership wise is the best one. And then just in general. Just extending kindness to everyone, like, you know, everybody's going through something and just really remembering that when you're in a stressful situation or you're trying to coach somebody through something or you've you've got a a hard discussion to have with an employee or a teammate. Just remember that, you know, everybody's everybody's, uh, suffering from something in life and just to to try to extend as much kindness as you can as often as you can in those situations.
0: We got to do the business thing. Who's your customer? If people want to learn more, how do they find out more? Yes, segrecom You know that's the best spot, the one-stop shop for us. Uh, you know our kind of archetype customer
1: is a business headquartered in our footprint. Uh, we do really well with multi-site uh, businesses that kind of mid-market space. So, would love to talk to any of them about you know their connectivity, cybersecurity, cloud, collaboration needs. Yeah, I think that's the best way to just hit us on the website. It's probably the best way to reach us amazing
0: Well, we made a podcast how do you feel feel great appreciate you it's great getting to know you thank you so much for listening and if you found this episode useful please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it and if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast either add me on linkedin or send me an email joel at moderncto.io. every time i get an email or a linkedin message it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going